Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. This week, uh, Kathy uh, brought some donuts to work on Friday morning. That's job security right there, boy. <laughs> she had several donuts, and she said, why don't you take one with and, and, and I was looking, she said, what kind of donut's your favorite? She, Kathy's the kind of person that if she knows your favorite, boy, she'll, she'll remember that. And, and I said, well, you know, I only like two kinds of donuts, hot and cold. <laughs> Actually, we, we lamented together a little bit that there really isn't a really good donut place close here. The greatest donut place in Whatcom County used to be owned by Neil and Keith Cox many moons ago, but... But we're kind of, I'm kind of a picky donut eater, you know. So I picked out a donut and set it on my desk and, and uh, wasn't really hungry in the morning. So after lunch, I thought, I'm going to have that donut for dessert. And after I took a bite, I got right up and I went into Kathy's office. I said, Kathy, I have a new favorite donut in Ferndale. And this is it. It's a great donut, a cinnamon sugar donut from Hagen's. It was a great donut. It was wonderful. You know, a, a change of mind is often good but hard to come by for most of us. In Hebrews 8, we're going to read about an important change of mind for these folks to whom this letter was addressed, but it was awful hard for them to come by. And that change of mind has to do with Jesus and him as the high priest of our faith. Hebrews 8, we're going to be considering verses 6 through 13 this morning. But now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, more excellent than the earthly priest, that's what he was compared to previously, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, God says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and so I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete now what, ha what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is a, a passage with much, much truth in it. And we begin by understanding that there are two covenants spoken of that God made with his people Israel. And the first one considered is the old covenant. 
Turn with me back to Exodus 19, where we read about the creation of that first covenant, which we now call the Old Covenant. Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Here's how, what you shall say to the house of Jacob, or to the Jewish people. Here's what you shall tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Moses is the intermediary, the mediator. He goes up the mountain and God says, Here's the deal. Tell these people, if they live for me, I'll bless them. Moses goes down and he says, Nation of Israel, if you live for God, he will bless you. And they say, we will live for God. And he goes back up and he says, Lord, they said they'll live for you. That is the first covenant with, between God and his people in the Old Testament. The word covenant means a binding agreement. We use it today in uh, real estate in particular, you might move into a neighborhood which has covenants on the property, which means the people have agreed together. You can't paint your house purple without asking permission or, or whatever it might be, and they have codes like that. The covenant. We refer to that first half of the Bible as the Old Testament. The word testament and covenant are synonyms. That's, they're there together. It is the time which God's people functioned essentially most of that time under the Old Covenant. Now look at Exodus 24, verse 3. We, we, Moses goes back up the mountain of God and he gets more instruction for God, from God. Exodus 24, verse 3. So Moses came. Now he's come back down the mountain and told the people all the words of the Lord, which are these intervening chapters that we didn't read. He told them all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Boom. We're going to do it. We're going to live for God. They entered into a covenant agreement with God. God said, I will bless you if you live for me. There are eight covenants that God has made, and I'm just going to read the names of them, and if you want to talk more about them later, we can. There was one in the Garden of Eden. We call that the Edenic Covenant. There was one with Adam, the Adamic Covenant. One with Noah, the Noahic Covenant. One with Abraham, the Abrahamic Covenant. And here, one that is sometimes called the Mosaic Covenant because Moses was the intermediary. Then there was the Palestinian Covenant, the Covenant of the Land. 
Then there was the covenant with David, the Davidic covenant where a king would always be out of his line sitting on the throne of Israel. And then there is the new covenant. All of these made with God's people. The summary of this old covenant that God is referring to here is, if you obey me, I will bless you. Now, if you were to spend time and look throughout parts of the Old Testament, you would find some great blessings promised to God's people under the old covenant. Places like Deuteronomy 7, where God promises to multiply his people. He promised them, promises that they will have many children. He promises to bless the fruit of their womb. He promises that the fruit of the land, the grain, the new wine, the oil, the cattle, the flocks will be blessed. We would translate that today to economic prosperity. He said they would be blessed above all people. He said there would be no barren male or family among all the livestock. Now, I've never raised livestock, but can you imagine if every single one was capable of reproducing consistently how fast you could become a wealthy person? And it's summarized by saying this, and the Lord will take away all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but he instead will lay them on those who hate you. What a great deal. Live for God, and he's going to bless you. If you've watched any Christian TV, you've heard that passage preached. And you've heard it brought straight to your life. I know a pastor who drives his, uh, what is it, an Alfa, it's not an Alfa Romeo, it's a, uh, no, no, it's that, that Italian thing, that uh, Ferrari, parks it right by the front door of the church. Because he believes that that applies straight to you, folks. There's only one problem with the Old Covenant, and God refers to it in Hebrews 8. He says, it was not faultless. In Hebrews 8, 7, he says, the covenant was not faultless. And in verse 8 of Hebrews 8, God says he found fault with them, with the people. Look at Exodus 32. If you want to see where God found fault with the people. Exodus 32.1. See, Moses went up and down the mountain several times, and now he's, he's gone back up to get more instruction. All of that instruction that we know as, as how to build the tabernacle, how the priest should conduct himself, all of that was given by God in a couple of different time frames. And so he's back up there, verse Chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. if You can just write the word impatient right there. If you want a lesson on patience, this is a great one. He was delayed coming down the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron, and they said, Aaron, come make us gods that, we sh that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said, that's not right. No, Aaron said, break off your earrings, which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. And they've made the golden calf. Now get the picture here, folks. We will do everything the Lord does. Everything the Lord says, we will do it. And then a little, just a little while later, we will do everything the Lord says. And just a little while later, let's make an idol. 
That is the fault of the old covenant. We're going to read more about it in just a minute in Hebrews 8. God said the old covenant had weakness. Now, was, was God surprised by that? Do you suppose God created that whole scenario and then went, oh my, I've left something out? No, no, and we'll find out more about that in a minute too. Could I just say as a sidebar here for a moment, why would you want to live under that weak old covenant? Why would you want to go back and try to gather those blessings from God that his own people who just heard from him couldn't get because there was no power. God says he found fault with the covenant and he found fault, or it was not without fault, and he found fault with the people. The first generation of people failed to believe God and conquer the land. The second generation failed to believe God and rid the land of pagans. Under the judges, they had seven great periods of ups and downs where they went to the Lord and they went away from the Lord and back and forth and under, under captivity and then freed. And then under the kings, they were up and down with a downward trend. Why is that? Romans 8.3 says this. The law was weak through the flesh. Folks, if you had to obey God on your own with just your own commitment saying, I will do what God says, without any of the blessing that we have today, you would be just like those folks. That is the weakness. Our flesh is weak. The old covenant of law depended on human beings for fulfillment. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that God would have lived up to his end of the deal, but in that covenant, God said, will you? And they said, we will. We're going to see something different in the new covenant. Turn with, back with me to Hebrews 8 now. And we want to understand some more about the conclusion of the Old Covenant. Hebrews 8 and verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, God says. And here's what happened. After all of these years of them failing and being renewed and failing and being renewed and getting farther and farther away from God, in the book of Jeremiah, God comes and says, there's going to be a new covenant. And if your Bible isn't written this way, you should put quote marks in verse 8, starting with the word, behold. You should have some quote marks. My Bible also puts it in italics from there all the way to the end of verse 12 because that is a direct quote from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And God came and spoke to Jeremiah the prophet to tell the people of God, the Jewish people, while they are in captivity, he says there's a new day coming. And that prophecy was given to Jeremiah for his, God's people 600 years before Christ came which would put it closer to 700 years before the book of Hebrews is being written. And this book of Hebrews is being written to help the Jewish people understand how all of this comes together. 
Some of them were still saying, you know, the, there's the temple in Jerusalem, which was most likely still standing. There's the sacrifices. There's what I can see. There's what I can feel. There's all these hundreds of years of history. Surely, we know that was from God. And yet, the apostles were over here saying, Jesus is the new high priest. There is the new covenant. There is the new way. And they're struggling between the two. And God pens us to say, look, folks, there was problems with the first covenant. So, he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. Starting in verse 8, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you know your Bible history, the, the nation of Israel came to a point where they had a civil war and a division of the land. The ten tribes to the north were known as Israel, the two to the south known as Judah. The ten tribes to the north were taken in captivity by Shalmaneser in approximately 722 B.C. The two tribes were taken in captivity in about 622 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. Now many people refer to those ten tribes as the ten lost tribes of Israel. They aren't lost. <laughs> God knows who they are. It's just that they never came back as a group to reform the northern kingdom of Israel. But they were in the very same place where a hundred years later the two southern tribes were taken. Do you suppose that they said, hey, there's some of my relatives. Now, it would have been a couple of three generations. I understand that. And when they came back, there were representatives from all 12 tribes. Don't let anybody tell you we're the ten lost tribes or some other group is. They aren't lost. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with both the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see, God had to put both of those words here. Otherwise, these contemporary Jewish people in the time of Christ would have only thought either Judah or Israel. They, did, they wouldn't have thought both, so he put both names in there. Now, here's something we need to really get our, our heads around. And you may have even heard me teach this wrongly. I learned something that I've been saying wrong this week and believing wrong. And that is this, the new covenant that God has made and is going to fulfill is with Israel. I know for a fact, I don't know if I've said it here, but I know I've said it in times past, we sit and talk about the new covenant and the blood of Christ, which is the new covenant. Jesus said it himself. And I say, God has made an agreement with mankind whereby we may be saved. And, you know, this covenant that God has made with us, and, and frankly, I've been wrong. God has made a covenant with Israel. We find that prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. Now, hang on. Hang on till the end of the sermon. I'm not a heretic. You'll find out. Is this new, is this new for you too, isn't it, Jeff? Okay, good, good. <laughs> Jeff and I study the Bible in the same place. We both got the same mistake. But I called our theology prophet, and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just failed to emphasize it to us. What is the premise of the new covenant? We need to understand this very clearly. Look in verse 8, verse 9. God says, I will make a new covenant. Not according to the covenant, verse 9, that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand, and so on. Verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother say, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins, their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Who's making that new covenant, folks? God. Does he say, Hey, would you like to enter into covenant agreement with me to the people of Israel? He says, No, I am going to make this covenant. And they are going to be under it. <laughs> if you read the book of Daniel, you find out that the, the future of history and parts of it that we are familiar with, like the tribulation and so on that's coming, God says there's a reason for that, and the reason is to put an end to the transgression of Israel. The new covenant is based on the I wills of God, not the weak wills of man. The Old Covenant was conditional, based upon man's obedience for its fulfillment, but the New Covenant is unconditional, founded upon the faithfulness and integrity of God's pledged word. The New Covenant is premised upon God's will, and number two, it is based upon the blood of Christ. Matthew 26, 28, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he told the apostles, the disciples who became the apostles, he said, this cup, this fruit of the vine represents my blood, which is the new covenant from God. What are the promises of the new covenant? Well, the first one is regeneration. In, in verse 9, he says, I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their heart. The old covenant put God's laws onto people. The new covenant puts God's law into people. It will be internal. It is what we call regeneration. The Bible says we have to be made new before we can understand God's truth and believe it and live in it. If you're here today and you say, I read God's word and I try to live it, but nothing happens, there's two possibilities. One is you have never come to know Christ as your Savior. Until you do, you will never be able to live out God's word. The other possibility is, is that you're living in sin on purpose. You're living in sin in this part of your life, and over here you're living, trying to live in righteousness, and this part doesn't work because you won't let go of that part. The new covenant makes possible our regeneration, our new birth, to be born again. John MacArthur says this, under the old covenant, obedience was primarily out of fear of punishment. Under the new, it's to be out of adoring love and worshiping thanksgiving. In the New Covenant, true worship is internal, not external, real, not ritual. Warren Wiersbe said this, The law of Moses could declare God's holy standard, but it could never provide the power needed for obedience. Sinful people need a new heart and a new disposition within. The New Covenant promises regeneration. Secondly, it promises relationship with God. He says, I will be their God, they will be my people. We don't need any priest. We are directly connected to God. He is our Father. In fact, he says, we are his priests. We have relationship with him. Most wonderful thing about the worship music that has become so popular in the last generation is because it emphasizes relationship with God. We are in a relationship with the creator of the universe. He loves us and wants to do all kinds of great things for us, and we need to respond to that, whether it be in music or, 
or, or prayer or however we can respond to it. It's a wonderful thing. God wants to have relationship with us. Number three, the new covenant provides for recognition of the truth. He says, they will not teach their neighbor, say, know the Lord, because they will all have an inward knowledge of God. The new covenant makes it possible that we can know God because the Holy Spirit is in us, opening the truth to us. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a pastor or a teacher. Some churches have taken this to an extreme where they, do, they refuse to have a full-time paid pastor because somehow it's ungodly. No. The difference is that God said you can recognize the truth out of God's word. You don't have to have a teacher, but a teacher can be a good thing. We can recognize the truth. And then fourthly, there is restoration of righteousness. He says, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins. In the Old Testament, they were judged. They were penalized. In the New Covenant, there is forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 and 9 says, The Old Covenant was a ministry of death and condemnation, but the new one is one of forgiveness. Now, if you've been paying attention as I talk briefly about those promises, you've been saying, Pastor Dave, that sounds a lot like what I think I've been as a Christian, but you're telling me that covenant doesn't apply to me? No, I didn't say it doesn't apply to you. I said God has not made that covenant with you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11, please. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 is a passage you should definitely spend some time in if you haven't, understanding the difference between Israel and the church. There are many folks who would try to tell you that the church has taken the place of Israel, but Romans 11:1 1 makes it very clear when it says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. Drop down to verse 11. I say then, have they, that's the Jewish people, have they stumbled that they should fall or be gone? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the who? Who? If I were to ask you to raise your hand, there might be somebody here who has some Jewish blood in them. I, I, when, when I was preaching something like this in Tukwila one time, I, I suddenly re- realized my secretary was half Jewish. <laughs> and I, you know, she had told me that recently. It never registered. Jewish people can be saved today too. Praise God. We, we're for it. We pray for it. But what does God say there? He said the Jewish people and God viewed them as a whole, not every single one, because the Apostle Paul says, hey, I'm a Jewish guy. But as a whole, as a nation, they rejected Jesus. They said, no, we don't want that Messiah. And so what did God do? Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall. And to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do you know why you're saved today? You're a divine provocateur. God hasn't saved you just for your benefit. God wants to save you 
So the people of Israel will someday wake up and go, man, what have we been missing? Let's go on, verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, <laughs> and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness now, I need to stop there. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but this new covenant has not been fully realized with the Jewish people, but it will be. And there will be a day when God can say, they all know me. Now, it's not going to help the Jewish people that have died in their unbelief, but it's going to be for those folks who are alive in that time period and for those Jewish people who were believers in God in the Old Testament time. There's going to be a new day coming and how much more their fullness is going to bless the world. And I believe that's a time called the millennial kingdom when Christ rules on the throne of David. Verse 13, For I speak to you Gentiles, that's you, put your name in there, I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my, my flesh and save some of them, his Jewish brothers. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and the root is holy. So are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, that's the people of, of Israel in these days, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. Do I need to say you should not be anti-Semitic? That's what he's saying here. He said, don't, don't look over at Israel and go, oh, God cast them away. They're nothing. They're dirt. They're blah, blah, blah. He said, no, no. He said, you're the wild olive branch. You've been grafted in. Remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, and he goes on. Here's the deal, folks. You know what you really are? <laughs> Some of you are going to be mad at me. You're dogs. Do you remember the Gentile woman that came to Jesus? Saying, Jesus, heal me, heal me. And he looked over and he said, why should I take the children's fed and food and give it to the dogs? He was talking about Gentiles. And she looked at him and he said, even the dogs get the scraps off the table. And he said, woman, your faith has saved you. Wow, we're dogs, we're provocateurs. Here we think we're this special thing, and we're the outsiders that God said to his chosen people, hey, you don't want me? Good, I'm going to put you right over here, and I'm going to give all these blessings of this new covenant to them. Here's the deal, folks. The covenant's made with Israel. We just get the blessing. All that stuff that he wanted to give them, they wouldn't take it. So he said, here, I'll give it to you. Wow. How do us dogs get to eat from the table? Well, Galatians 3 says we can become Abraham's children through faith in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, God says you're a true believer, just like Abraham was. Therefore, you deserve the benefits of this new covenant. Wow. Back in Hebrews 8 we understand that the end of that old covenant was almost complete. And here's what I mean by that. It, I would understand from the way this passage is written that the temple had not yet been destroyed in Jerusalem. 
The temple was the place where they offered sacrifices, and it was still in place because the way this is written, he would have said they used to, or he would have verbalized it differently. That's why these people were torn so much. Here's the temple, here's Christ. But look what he says in Hebrews 8.13. In that he says a new covenant, he's made the first one obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I said it last week and I want to say it again. If these folks had glommed on to that temple and said, no, I'm going to stick with this old way, what a foolish choice that would have been made. Because in A.D. 70, the Romans came down and just wiped Jerusalem clean, including destroying the temple. And the temple sacrifices have never been reinstituted since that time. And you know why they haven't been reinstituted? It's not because we have laws against animal sacrifice. It's because God has never been in it. God said, I'm done with that. It actually was finished... When Christ died on the cross, the Bible says the temple into the Holy of Holies was split in two. That's the point actually at which God made that new covenant. The old one was done, but it was, if you would, tapering away until the temple was finished. And see, what God told those folks is instructive for us as well. He, he said, look, way back 700 years ago, I told you the new covenant was coming. Why are you surprised? And yet there are people today that want to go back under those Old Testament laws. I heard about someone recently who owned a business, and they chose the timing of their retirement in part because they didn't want to learn to use a computer. And in the, Now, they own the business, okay? So that's a little different than, you know, us peons, you know, down on the lower level. But they, you know, this company that they were part of that, you know, as a franchise was go in the way of computers, and they could tell it was just going to have to happen. So they just said, I'm out of here. <laughs> Sold the business to somebody else. Let them learn to use the computer. Some of you today are thinking, man, that's what I would have done if I could have made a choice. Some of you today, like that typewriter that's in my office there, it's 70 or 80 years old from my grandfather. Hey, that thing works, and I marvel at the, t at the technical ability of people 80 or 100 years ago to build a typewriter like that that still works today. My computer won't be working in three years. You know? But you know what? I don't use that typewriter for anything. It's just a museum piece for me. And why would I? When I've got a great computer and printer system and all this stuff, man, we can really crank stuff out. Why would I go back to the old? It's obsolete. God has given us something new. Why would we go back to the old? My dog has great hearing. He can hear people coming to the door before they've even left their house. <laughs> he thinks he can. I tell you what my dog can hear. My dog can hear the rattle of a plastic bag on a piece of cheese or a piece of meat. And he can be doing the dog thing in his bed and he hears that noise, boom. Gonna eat that? Gonna eat that? I'll eat that. Once in a while we throw him a scrap, you know. Fellow dogs, 
Welcome to the banquet table. God's life freely given for us. Us who really don't deserve it. That's what this is about. It's about saying, thank you, Lord, for letting me in on something that I was never supposed to get in on. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the Internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.